When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 852. This episode is brought to you by the enhanced editions of George R.R. Martin's Game of Thrones books available exclusively on iBooks, including the just-released A Feast for Crows enhanced edition, which has uh, interactive character maps, uh, hundreds of author notes, incredible illustrations, a sigil guide, and much, much more. All these extras bring the adventure to life and help you stay on top of all the storylines Get a Feast for Crows Enhanced Edition exclusively on iBooks, or you can just go to apple.co slash Game of Thrones. I'm sorry, not available in all countries. I apologize. It's not my... I don't control these things, don't you know? But uh, thanks to uh, Game of Thrones for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Uh, let's go to the Nerdist Community Corkboard. Ralph Puma. That is a great name. That's a fantastic name. That's like a... Should we get like an MMA battle of Chester Cheetah and Ralph Puma? Now, Ralph, I know you've probably heard that your entire life. Whenever you think you've stumbled across a thing that teases someone's last name, they've heard it a million times, 100% of the time. So I apologize. Um, But um, also, I'm not going to go back and edit it out. Are you mad? Uh, Anyway, Ralph produced and developed a... Six-episode half-hour comedy web series called Solace. Uh, it's about a comic book store. The first episode's available on YouTube. And um, since Anthony Hopkins' Solace has pushed them completely to the bottom of the list, uh, you would have to find them by searching Solace Comics. That would be very helpful. Uh, then, Tanner McCandlish, who sounds like the villain in the Ralph Puma, Chester Cheetah story. I feel like Tanner McCandlish is the one who's... Um, he's trying to get Ralph Puma to throw that cat fight and Ralph's like I guess I'll do it for my kids but then when he gets in the ring he realizes like I can't go down cause for my kids so then he fights back and um, and then uh, Tanner McCandlish uh, basically hunts him the entire movie and then his former uh, his former nemesis Chester Cheetah like they team up at the end because uh, Tanner's been pulling the strings on Chester for too long and making him be all cheesy, and he doesn't like that. He doesn't. He wants to just be a cheetah and eat hunt gazelle and not have to talk about uh, scrunchy, delicious cheese snacks. Uh, I feel like that kind of petered out at the end there, but you get it. You know, it's a work in progress. Anyway, Tanner says, I feel like the community cork board is the perfect place to let people know about the Barbara Ireland Walk and run for breast cancer. Every year, uh, I participate in this charity event to raise money for breast cancer awareness in Santa Barbara. Great cause. 100% of the donations go straight to research and supporting care programs. This year, my team, Save Second Base, has a goal to reach at least $5,000 in donations. 
We'd love for you guys to help get the word out about this fundraiser. The event is Saturday, March 11th. Still plenty of time for the listeners of The Nerdist to help out. You can find the team page and donate at tiny.cc slash save second base. Aw, Tanner, you were a good guy the whole time. Aw. So this episode is Mr. Alan Tudyk, uh, a man I've known for many, 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 many years and have delighted in seeing his ascension to the top of the nerd chain. Uh, Alex a great guy. We did a sitcom pilot in like the year 2001, I think. And, if, and on top of that, of course, I think you know how I feel about Firefly. I'm a fan of uh, pretty much everything Alan does. So uh, it was really fun to have him on. He was on At Midnight uh, with Ron Funches and Danny Pudi because they're promoting Powerless, which is Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. on NBC. And um, Alan had never been on At Midnight before, and he destroyed. Oh, my God. The whole show was funny. Everyone was great. But Alan crushed. So uh, uh, very exciting. Very exciting to see him as K2SO <laughs> in Rogue One, and uh, which is really great. i got to watch that movie a hundred times. And then Con Man, which is a series that he created and, and wrote. That's over on Comic-Con HQ. If you go to conmantheseries.com, you can watch that. A lot of people in there that you know and love. Uh, so, yeah, Alan Tudyk on the podcast. I don't think he's actually the first time he's been on the podcast. Because there's not a returns after after his name in the uh, listed on iTunes. That's now you can see the matrix, matrix code behind what we're doing. Uh, speaking of matrix code, John Wick two, huh? That was that is what you call a happy accident segue. Only ruined by the fact that I pointed it out. But uh, John Wick two, Keanu Reeves just in the podcast, the last episode of the podcast. John Wick 2 is fucking fantastic. It's so much fun. It's exactly what you want it to be. Just it starts from the second the the lights go down and then it's just uh, a super shoot 'em up assassinating video game. Uh <laughs> Keanu Reeves Keanu Reeves is a beast in the best way possible uh in this movie. So uh yeah, go see John Wick 2. It's in theaters. Please, please watch it. Support people who have supported the Nerdist Podcast and support fun action movies. Uh, and now, here's the Nerdist Podcast number 852 with Mr. Alan Tudyk. Katie, please roll the thing. Now entering Nerdist.com. This is a whole thing of popcorn. Oh my god. Look at that. This is amazing. Yeah, it's not as... Oh my god. No, 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 it is. It is. I want it to be brimming with... The wife is gonna go crazy! Good. She loves... Uh, she. We have a little media room with lots of snacks. Oh, good, this is good. gonna be perfect. Thank good. you so much. Good. This is lovely. No, uh, no K2 on the whole... Where is... Uh, where's K2? Where's the K2 merch? Give me a sh- Sharpie, I'll draw them in. <laughs> <laughs> or just write the. I did that at the store. Or just write write K two on it. Like oh he's there he's there in spirit. The is there coffee? I could. We can we can find a coffee. Deb, can you get us coffee? Yeah. Uh, cool fucking Team Stark patch on that jacket there. Thank you. Um, what do you want your coffee? Um, just milk and sugar. Okay. Regular. Can I have a decaf one of those? 
D- uh, yeah, D- milk and sugar too? Or just-, just milk. And please don't mix them up or I'll die. All right. Oh, really? Yeah, I can't drink coffee. I cannot drink coffee. I want to drink real coffee. I would love to, but I can't drink real coffee. It makes me nuts. Like like this and the heart pounding and the sweats. I and get the, the same, but that's what I, the desired <laughs> effect I'm going for. You embrace that part of it. Yeah, that's why I drink it. I'm looking around to see if I have any... You know, I have a lot of Funko stuff, and I keep thinking, maybe I, maybe I have some Firefly stuff at home. Do they make Funko Firefly stuff? Yeah. This stuff? Yeah. 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 Maybe there's Another some. thing I could have brought you. I got plenty of that shit. Maybe there's, maybe there's a wash in there somewhere. There's probably, I'm sure I have it somewhere. It's got, like, at least a, at least a cat and mouth. <laughs> at, le- at, least a, at least a mouth. Nah, fuck him. It's all about wash. That's right. Yeah, fuck Malcolm. That's right. Fuck Malcolm Reynolds. Fuck him. <laughs> Anyway, did we start recording yet? <laughs> oh, okay. Don't tell. Oh, no. Who knew? Who knew? Look at that. Is the greatest. Oh, yeah. Jungle banana? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an old vintage, uh, yeah, ice cream, oh. ice cream sign. And this, uh, this guy was painted on glass and uh, all sorts of fun stuff. And the wallpaper you may recognize. Is yes, I, I... Being from a Star Wars. <laughs> a Star War? yeah. And they're situation. fuzzy. I got to, you know, it was pointed out that it's fuzzy. It's very nice. It's a very cool, very cool spot. It's our Ren fun and Stimpy. Record. Yeah, I got the Ren and Stimpy. Got, uh, got a lot of fun stuff. One of the original Nerdist uh, pieces of art ever from when we first, when I first started it. Cool. Someone make that. Yeah. So it's just like a little hall. It's just a little museum of, of stuff, Alan. Just a little museum of things that are relevant to me. It's nice. Uh, I don't know if no... Most people would know this or not, but uh, you and I starred together mm-hmm. on a situation comedy yeah. in the year 2001. Is that when it was? Yeah. yeah early it was. 2001. It was early 2001. It was that pilot season, 2001. Wow. I was convinced that show was going to go. I was convinced. Man. You we know, had the Friends producers. Yeah. And the Mad About You uh, writing team was in there somewhere. The, we had a Leslie Ann Warren, we had a Kathy Moriarty, we had a Dan Hedaya. My father, which many people go, who's the perfect dad? Who's the older version of Alan Tudyk? Dan Hedaya. <laughs> that Italian, overly Italian guy. Who was it for? ABC, I think. It was ABC and those people. <sighs> and I was convinced. I convinced I'm like, how is this not going to go? How is this not going to get picked up? Friends I, was still. I thing. was terrible in that. I, I think. I think it got brought down by. I. I, I, I take full credit. For I that. highly doubt that. I was still drinking. As a matter of fact, that was one of my worst, ex- worst moments with drinking was going out the night before the first table read <laughs> because I was so excited that I had a job. Getting super drunk. And then having the phone ring, and it's like the you know it's like the first AD or someone. Hey, uh, are you gonna show for the table read? I'm like, uh, and I show up. At, it's it's just that nightmare. I show up and everyone's there, just waiting. <laughs> and they called me every morning for the rest of the week to make sure I would be there. <laughs> it was so humiliating. Wow. Yeah, yeah, those were dark times, Alan. But uh, you were very funny. I I think you I, I I envied your role. You were playing the role I usually played, and and 
the lovable fuck up, the lovable side guy who was right. like the fuck up. You were the you were the you were the brother. The you were my best brother. One. No responsibility in, in a role like that. Absolutely. You come in, you make your joke. People go, oh, that guy's fun, and then leave. Yeah, and the the lead has a lot. You've got to carry it, and um, I guess there's perks to being the lead, but uh, there are. But then the lead also has to be the straight person a lot of the time too yeah. for the crazy characters that surround him. Yeah, or her jokes. Those are the best roles. They are good, and yes, but yeah, I don't know. I was. I, it was. Uh, it was a good time. It was a really good time. And then you know, but if that show had gone. We wouldn't have gotten a, uh, we wouldn't have gotten Alan Tudyk as in Firefly. Who nope. knows what would have happened? Or it not would be happened. would there be a nerdist? No, definitely not. <sighs> because if I had been employed back then regularly, I probably wouldn't have had too much self reflective moments of <laughs> abject unemployment and right. rejection. So it wouldn't have occurred to me that something was wrong. Wow, look at that! That's the from the ashes. The Phoenix Rises. But you, I mean, we've, you've, we've both been doing this for a really long time, and you must have, <laughs> un, you must have understood that, too. I mean, you, yeah. your, your career is, in blo- is so beautifully blossoming right now, but I'm sure when you guys were making Con Man a few years ago, and I know you'd been working on it for a long time, it was like, I want to make a thing that's yeah. mine. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm not, maybe I'm, you, would you say it's fair to say that you were not getting the types of things that you wanted to see yourself doing at that time? Yeah. I, I, I wanted to play the lead. I had played the lead. I mean, that was the initial impetus to write and to create something. Because I played leads on, in, in stage before, on Broadway. Ah. And, and could never make the jump to television or film I was always uh, the side character or the side 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 character <laughs> the weird character usually the weird character but sure. we don't know how to we don't know how to cast this call call that weird guy and perfect here comes the Java. coffee drinks here's yeah. my decat here's my uh, castrated coffee beverage so this will be pre-, pre and post coffee this is the, right now. It's still in the pre pre world. Post coffee, I'm just gonna light right. You're gonna be on me. the ceiling like uh, like uh, Peter Parker when uh, when uh, Green Goblin when, when uh, Willem Dafoe comes over and looks for him in his room and he's just up on the ceiling That's just me. hiding. Yeah, that's, that's me. You. Although I wouldn't play either of those roles. <laughs> I play the <laughs> the wacky down the hall neighbor. Hey, yo, Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, hey, that'd be the the door guy who goes. This place is getting crazy. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to take the elevator this time, Spider-Man? <laughs> or are you going to take the side of the building? Oh, there he is. I saw you in the papers. Oh. I know your secret, but I ain't going to tell nobody, Spider-Man. <laughs> That's and my now boy. Alan Tudyk is a star. <laughs> He's a star. What are your... Now, I'm sure you're having conversations during that period where you go, okay, I'm not getting these roles that I want. I'm not getting these lead roles. What are your representatives telling you? Huh. What, what, what sort of math are you doing in your head to try to understand this phenomenon? The thing that they tell you and that, that my uh, representatives would always tell me is I would get a job that was a small role and I'd say, I don't, I don't like this project or I don't want to be in this. I don't um, – that like a project would come along that I would say, I'm not, I don't want to audition. I don't want to be there. They would say, you need to take this role to get some kind of notice so we can get the next bigger role. But then it became even worse. Like the role would be so small, they'd say – Take this role, and then until this movie comes out, we're going to tell everybody you're in this amazing project and lie to them, basically, <laughs> that I'm doing something that I'm not and uh, try to get me a bigger role before then. It, it was I, – I just kept wanting to 
I was like, I'm tired of doing things I don't want to do in hopes to do the thing I want to do one day. And uh, I guess it's just sort of slowly built up over time. I just, you just kind of hang in there. And comment changed everything. Comment changed everything for me. I, I, whenever I try to talk about uh, my career, it always comes back to comment, which is only just three, four years old, three years old yeah. of when, we, when we made it. Yeah. And I, I don't care about things anymore the way I used to. I feel like I can make something now. Um, yeah. I, it, um, it changed how I see everything. It changed how I walk on set, how I – what I think I can affect. Star Wars would not have been – K2SO would not have been K2SO if it hadn't come right after Star Wars. Because I just kind of didn't – it didn't – it wasn't this, oh, my God, I've got this opportunity to make something out of this. I thought – I actually tried to turn it down. What? Yeah. How? Why? Well, I – when I when it was offered to me, uh, I, Gareth Edwards offered it to me at Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim when they were there. I went and talked to him, and we had just crowdfunded. We had just raised $3.6 million, and he said, would you like to do it? I said, oh, my God. Please tell me it's not going in June because if it's in June, I cannot do it. I'm not going to do it. He was like, well, okay. Well, it's in July. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> Because I felt like I had a responsibility to the fans who had, who had supported it. Oh and, yeah, and we had we had said we're going to make this right away. We're not going to be one of those people who crowdfunds and you never hear. You can't disrespect your Kickstarter supporters. Yeah, and so uh, I was determined. And then I even kind of was very much saying, "Go over this with me again. How are we going to do this? What is my input?" Because I had done iRobot before in mm-hmm. two thousand and four or two thousand three. And uh, right after Firefly was canceled. And that was uh, really educational. And I feel like it doing that job kind of paid off 13 years later for Star Wars. Because I think that's why they called me initially or thought of me. But um, I had fun. It was mainly just me, Will, and uh, Bridget Moynihan in Vancouver for six months. It was great. Everyone was nice? Everyone was nice. We had a good time. I wore a spandex suit. It's kind of, I mean, but I worked really, really hard on it. I hope you showed up in the spandex and said, okay, should I get into wardrobe now? I mean, that's my favorite joke. <laughs> that's one of my favorite jokes. Do I need to get in? I don't know. I like, I like stupid dad jokes. But it, it's so, you know, it, it's so consistent that when you are, we just had the seventh anniversary of this podcast. And it's, it was a similar thing. But when you're running around and trying to make everyone else happy and trying to, oh, what am I doing right? What am I doing? You're so concerned about that. And then you finally just kind of break and you let it all go. As a rebellion, you go, well, I'm just going to make something for myself and fuck everyone. Right. That's when everything really starts to fall into place. I don't know if it's the secret or if it's uh, the force or if it's just coincidence. Yeah. But something happens as a result of that and things start to fall into line i think i i see people as collaborators now that i work for as opposed to that's my boss and i need to either please them or i want to get something out of this job or anything like that it just becomes we're just doing the work right let's of the little work i've done since well it's, uh star wars and now powerless that um we're just here to make it yeah see what see what happens there's so many things that go into this and uh, if I have an idea about writing or an idea about really anything, I don't, <laughs> I don't really censor myself. And I feel, <laughs> I feel free to improv in a way I never have. I always waited for permission. And you kind of had to tell me again and again. I worked with uh, 
uh, Frank Oz uh, directed. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. He directed the first uh, Death at a Funeral. Uh, there were two. They, there was the British one, and then they came out right after, a year later, with a black American version with Chris Rock mm-hmm. and Martin Lawrence and uh, to make money because it didn't get released here, oddly. It was all a, I don't know, studio thing that happened with MGM. And uh, there was – he would say, Alan, now d- you're not giving me everything. We do it. And he'd go, give me he'd, – he'd say, show me your chops, which is the most embarrassing thing for him to say out loud because he's like, <laughs> now be really good. Right, right, right. And action. No, Alan, I want you to really be good now. And it's also the voice of Miss Piggy talking to you at yeah, the same man. time. And Yoda he, – he, he spoke like um, Cookie Monster one day. Oh. He said, come over here. And he, he never does voices, but he just kind of did it. And I shrank – I shrank to the floor, uh, like I'm like crouched down. I'm like, what? What is this? <laughs> I feel like I was trying to shrink myself to the size I was when I watched Cookie Monster. Mm-hmm. It, it well, we know what it is. It's that is. I know the feeling you're talking about, and it's it it's such a deep developmental level of your being that you implode. Mm-hmm. It just like it it it's your whole body like sucks into a singularity because you can't. <laughs> Like you, you just can't process because yeah. it, it, it. There's a crazy sense memory with it that you can't uh, quite put your finger on, and that. I mean, I, I honestly think that they should use things like that in warfare because I think if you, if you took like childhood icons and went into battle and did that, I think everyone would just and then you know, then you then you capture them or whatever. But it's, right. it's so it's so disarming. Waka, waka, waka. He could just come out and just project that on a battlefield. And what are you going to do? Miss Piggy. Ah, did you did you reference that he did that or did you just? Yes. Not, you did. Yes. Um, it was uh, me and um, a couple of Daisy Donovan and um, it was just the two of us in his trailer. And we were going to work out a scene before we did it. Was and, he wearing pants? I never wore pants. Amazing. Yes. So glad to hear yeah. that. I mean, it is a diaper pants. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a debate. Is it pants? It's sort of like a, it's a helper. Yeah. Diaper is a helper. It's not because he was old. He just liked no, it. No, yeah. It feels good. It's comfortable. It's yeah. freeing. It's yeah. a poop caddy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, the, you, so you did mention. He, he mentioned. He's like, oh, I never do that. Like he was embarrassed that he did it. Um, he's big about these characters are not to be played with it. They are characters. I did a press tour with him for Death at a Funeral. Uh, went on a radio show, did a lot of screenings with him, and invariably someone would say, hey, could you do Yoda for me? And he'd go, and I just sort of, I learned to just kind of sit back and look at <laughs> like, God, you shouldn't have. Oh, no. Yeah, because he goes, so what, I'm like a, like you're a little dancing monkey right now. <laughs> These are characters that are built up. They're not voices. They're not party tricks. They're not parlor tricks. I'm not here to just pull something out of another project to show you while I'm here talking about this project. So, no. And we're like, hey, we're on KW whatever. <laughs> and we're here with Frank. I was, hey, Frank, do you mind doing our call letters uh, as Yoda? Oh, no. God, Jesus. <laughs> what am I, your little dancing monkey? And he just launches into his thing. He's very calmly. <laughs> See, he missed a great opportunity to say Yoda is a puppet. I am not a puppet. Come on. You Why you need, can you call him for me? We, tell, we text him. We tell him so I said you, that. You're putting your hand on my ass right now. Is that it? Make me talk. Is that I how it goes? Speakerphone. Why is on speakerphone? Would you guys going to yell at me like Yoda? Uh, the poor, I mean, it's just, it, it, that's got to be like a blessing and a curse. Like you get to touch so many people's lives and be so special. But people are always going to treat you like a fart machine, basically. Well, yeah. They, yeah. 
They will, and he's been such an amazing director. I mean, back in the 90s especially with What About Bob and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and uh, – oh, he directed um, Little Shop of Horrors, the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, that is – Unbelievable. And uh, Death at a Funeral. I don't know if you've seen it. A, a farce. A modern day farce. By the way, you, you are now... Either, I guess the good thing about K2's voice is that it's, a, it's essentially a, a slightly ramped up version of you, of your voice. Yes. So when people say, do K2SO, you can just be like, I'm doing it now. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're sort of... You don't have to go into a, right. into a zone. But I wonder if you'll get sick of it at some point. I'll just say, I'm K2SO. I've been... Reprogrammed Imperial Droid. That's gonna, and now we move on. Oh, he's so, doing it. He oh, could you say, uh, <laughs> I don't care. I'll do it. <laughs> I know I would do. Yeah. Yep. You got it. I have no, no problem with that. King whatsoever. Candy. I, I'll do King Candy. Oh, come out and whatever you want. <laughs> I was on uh, K Rock and they were talking about, oh, what's it like when you have you do a voice? Do you do it for kids? I was like, yeah. And at a certain age, the kids are. You know, they think it's amazing if they're a little bit older, but they're little. They feel like they've been ripped off. They look at you like they've been betrayed because the voice is coming out of this old man. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, but kids are stupid. Kids are so stupid. (laughs) And my friend called me and said, you know, they're running that as just a little soundbite all week long. Kids are so stupid. Perfect. That's Alan Tudyk as King Candy saying kids are stupid. But the kids are too dumb to know why that's wrong. So it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. But it, it, it's – yeah, when I – I remember uh, doing cartoons that – do voices at Nickelodeon. They'd always – they would bring kids in every so often and they stopped doing it because the kids would always get so excited. And they'd go, in there, it's just a bunch of fucking grown-ups yeah. around. And they get bored immediately. Yeah. And you can tell when kids are bored because they look around. You yeah. can tell when they're into something. Yep. And they were not into it at all. But, uh, but I do think that skill set for you – I think the voiceover skill set is such a gr- – I, I don't think it's an underrated skill set. I don't think people go, eh, voiceover. But it's such an incredible talent to be able to have to be able to tell the story of a character without – Right. Without, I mean I know they put the visuals in. You see what the – it's definitely a relationship with the artists. Right. But, but it just – it really just depends on the quality of your performance. It's a fun back and forth, and you know, you mentioned sometimes you see it, sometimes it's already animated, which I can't stand that. Um, I mean, it's my least favorite version of that because they've already decided your performance in a way where if you if you're doing it, you give them whatever you have in the lines. King Candy was especially this way where he could make noise and it would get animated. He would say, "Everybody, come down here." Hmm. <laughs> Hello, and all of the hmm wow would have uh, he'd notice something beside him, <laughs> lean on something that's wobbly, <laughs> and I loved seeing that back and forth play with the animators, uh, what they pulled out and what they used. Yeah, and also something that's written angry, you can say it very sweetly. Mm-hmm. So then they animate, you know, the blinky eyes and the happy face, or. But that's you know when you have that was Rich Moore correct yes yeah so Rich is so fucking talented funny guy and uh, and when you have that kind of a relationship yeah he's pulling off what you're and then you'll go in and do ADR and it's like oh they added stuff no you add more stuff and it really does become kind of an improv uh, like yep. a certain level of it when you have a g- good director like Rich is an improv game especially oh we're gonna one up in this way what do you got. And he's yeah, he, and he's uh, he champions his actors. Um, he tried. I had a, a joke in uh, Wreck It Ralph 
a, a race riot joke. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and he fought, he fought for it. It was when um, uh, uh, Wreck-It Ralph is coming. He's just come out of this toffee moat thing or little pond, and he's, he starts destroying the race, and he upends all the stands. We're there for the, the, the Ross, the race, to see who's going to win and who's going to place. And he's, everybody starts screaming and running around, and King Candy says, Stop it, please, everybody. We don't want a race ride on our hands <laughs> because it's a race, and you ride, never mind. And... It was something that I came up with there, and he was like, oh, that's good. Played it in, in uh, I think, New Mexico at one screening. Everybody was silent and uncomfortable, and that was it. That was about it. Yep, yep. Race Riot got Listen, uh, we, It's got still pulled. for us. It's still for us. We still get that moment. Yeah. But I think it, you know, uh, sort of hearing up to Con Man, everything before, and I, I think there really is something to the when, – when you are – when you're kind of exuding a bit of desperation, mm-hmm. people can tell. It just, it just, you can just tell. Yeah. And when that goes away, and that usually goes away when you're kind of just focused on your own thing and you're comfortable, there's, there's some weird law of attraction where it's like, I, I guess, I guess when you really think about it, uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, <clears throat> if a, if an organism is desperate, it needs something, and if it needs something, it might not be strong enough to survive on its own, which means it's going to take from the group, so the group probably shuns it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when something doesn't need anything, oh, that thing must have answers. That oh, I need answers. You know? Right. So I, so I really think there's something to that idea. I absolutely agree. You're, yeah, you are. <laughs> you don't need them. You don't need people. You can. I also you have to fight for your vision of a thing and there's plenty of people fighting against you uh that i never as an actor there would just be one or two moments where i'm like please this this i i really feel like i need to say this or this is what this moment should be but usually it'd be like this is what this moment is great i'll fulfill what you want in this moment as an actor as to a director or to a writer whatever this is what it needs to be then then let me make it that the best version of that for you whereas uh doing con man i had to especially trying to get it made People would say, all right, this is about conventions. This is about uh, a guy going through Comic-Cons or lesser uh, conventions, uh, and he he doesn't like his experience. They'll go, oh, yeah, con- cons, great. Crazy characters, those nerds. Right. Oh, my God, let's make fun of them. Right. And then, then, then it would be over. You're like, you don't try to explain it to them. Yeah. They don't get it. But also, I, my, my agents left. Uh, because I was determined to make Con Man, and I had a I had a test for an ABC show, and they wait till right at the last minute to say, "Oh yeah, also Alan wants to do this Con Man thing, and he's been pursuing it. He has uh, he's about to make it with somebody else. We we came really close to making it with different production companies and different ways, and um, the, they said, "Oh no, this is direct competition with ABC at the time. We consider." online direct competition now and so he can't make it and this is an hour and a half before i tested it was me and a guy and it was looking good and uh (laughs) i i was on my way to the test saying all right well just i just need to do the pilot then let me just make the pilot do it with my own money and put it on youtube i just have to see this thing through and they went back and i'm sitting in line waiting to go into the gate i had two cars back from the gate and I got a call saying they won't do it. 
I said, then I'm not doing it. Well, good for you. I turned around. And that kind of bullshit business affairs nonsense is infuriating to me because anyone with a fucking brain in their head would know that it's not the fucking 80s and that that kind of competition does not make sense anymore. It's like if if you're on an ABC show and you make Con Man and Con Man blows up, guess what's going tandem with all the attention you're getting? Your fucking ABC show. And then – especially in today's crowded press marketplace, that's more things for you to talk about, which makes you more of a story. That, this shit fucking incenses me to no end when I hear this. Like, do you guys not fucking know how the world works now? I'm so... Yeah. I'm Listen, if you had gotten it, who knows if you would be here, who knows if there would be K2SO, right. but on your behalf, that makes me very angry. It was very frustrating. And, yeah, it, it's still... Yeah, it's... It, luckily, with Powerless, which I'm doing now for NBC, I was able to... I'd already made one season of Con Man, so I was able to, before uh, signing any contracts, said, look, this thing exists. And when it exists beforehand, then they have to either accept it or walk I wonder away. what the competition is now for the show that probably didn't get picked up. Oh, it did. It got... Oh. It got picked up and lasted two seasons. Okay. Well, I guess that kills that idea then. yeah no it, it did it lasted a lasted its own little while but it it cleared it cleaned house i i i, I my lawyers i walked away from um my agents ended up saying look it's it's over really yeah the next pilot season it took another year of us not really getting along and the next pilot season they said you really need to do a pilot this year i said i'm not because i hadn't done comment yet I'm like, we're, that's we're fantastic almost ready. so but so what is driving you at this point what is it when when everything about you know the Alan Tudyk of let's say even ten years ago six years ago right. might have been like all right I guess I better do what they're telling me to do they're the experts I need to work like right. what is it when you know you're not working and you know that all of this is your your potential career your representatives what's driving you to still make this thing ego <laughs> <laughs> that I would I'm such a comedy snob uh, that I would read other pilots and tend to like, this isn't as funny as my thing. I think my thing's funnier. So I'm not interested in making this. And I've always had, I've always been a frustrating uh, client for agencies when they say, this is the thing that everybody's going to watch. But it's not funny. It's not any good. Like, it will be good. That's a big thing. People don't, I don't think people know that. They, you get a script and it's terrible. And they say, yeah, but look who's in it. It's going to be good by the time you're done. Right. It's such a cra- like, but I got to sign a seven year contract for something that may or may not be good. So I would, uh, yeah, I just said no. I said no. Plus, it. I've gone to cons for so long now, and I wanted to make that. I wanted to make it for years, 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 years. I, I wanted to make a movie actually, and then it got sort of figured out a way to make it in TV, and I just felt like there was an audience for it, and people were missing the audience for it. And if I didn't make it, somebody else was going to make it. So you have that, like, I got to, I got to do it. I, I don't know do if they it. would have made it, it the right way. I mean, I know, you know, for years I had heard some version of like, let's do a thing at a comic con. It was never very clear what that thing was, but mm. it was that same. These nerds, they're characters, and and then you know, and I would always say like, yeah, but you can't, you can't ridicule, like, right? You can't, you have to, you have to be on their side. You can't, it can't be like, look at these dumb nerds and their stupid costumes, you right. know, because that's completely disrespectful to what we do and so you know there are certainly ways to play with the environment as long as it's like we're all a part of this yeah i there was there was one joke in the first season that i i i think we this is where i i looked at this is where i think we did it in this moment where uh like sort of straddled those two worlds i meet a lot of fans who come to me in a very serious it's a very serious moment one of my favorite moments when they say look it, 
you, your work in Firefly, it's usually Firefly, helped me get through Afghanistan or a surgery or something that's so life-changing and monumental and it's like hugs and tears and amazing that I got to be a part of that somehow. Uh, so in Conman, why not have a laugh at that? Uh, there's a character who comes up and says, your show – and he's dressed like a tooth fairy. Um, Greg Wilson, really funny guy. Um, your show helped me forget what happened to my village. I burned it down. <laughs> 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 you get the sense it was on purpose. <laughs> so it nods to that moment that it's, it's beautiful, that it helped him through a time. But he's, he's the reason everything went bad. Uh, we, we had him on second season, too. Uh, he's the biggest fan. Um, and we just make fun of him needing his medicine and not being able to get it. It's, anyway, it's, a, it's a very ripe world to play in. I was so bummed that um, because we, you know, we, at, we met with you at Nerdist about Con Man. That's right. Before I, the Kickstarter. I, yes. And, and at that point, we were just – we had just been purchased by Legendary. Oh, dude. And so they had our purse strings. So this guy was there. I know. I don't think really understood nerd culture Or at you. All. Or you. No. He didn't know what he had. No. And so uh, it was one of those things where – you know, I remember meeting with him and he's like, well, I think I go, you know, this feels like uh, the right take on this. Uh, and I love Alan. I've known Alan. I love Nathan. And it's a great group. And he's like, well, it just, you know, they just want more money than it was one of those. Like, they just want more money to make it than they're ever going to get kind right. of thing. And so I was like, OK. Cause, I mean, I could literally couldn't do anything about it. And uh, and then you did the Kickstarter. And I think I even said to you after Kickstarter, I go. It's so much better that you did the Kickstarter because you got more money than I think we even would have been able to squeeze out of yeah. them. Yeah. So and also, the story of it was so much better that it was it. It's a show about fandom that was supported by fans, right? And I think that in the I think that helped that helped spiritually kickstart the project and get right. people interested as opposed to just oh, we made this, a company paid for it, you know? So right. I actually, as bummed as I was to not be able to get to work on it, I think it worked out so much better that way. They're in it. Fans are in it. And it's you can watch. <laughs> if you watch the series, you can watch like, oh, those are the same fans as the other con they were at. <laughs> and there's there's a few of them where it's just, it's a Where's Waldo. You don't even have to, it's not a easy, it's not a very challenging game because there's certain people who are always front and center that are that, would show up and be extras for us. Yeah, that 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 right after you guys funded and you were I don't know if I guess maybe you had shot but you brought footage to Comic-Con. Right. And I moderated that panel. Yes. And, and I think you were the first uh internet-based production that got into Hall H. Dude, that was a uh, that was a that was cathartic. That was beautiful, man. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. I, I was crying on the way to <laughs> I was crying on the way to Comic-Con because we had just finished the first season and it was so hard. I directed every episode. I wrote every episode. It was something it was more challenging than anything I'd ever done. And I was in the car with my wife. She was driving because I was just too exhausted to drive. <laughs> and some song came on and I just started, <laughs> I just started crying because I was so afraid of how it would go and exhausted. And wow, it was a... I just found a video that I did in my hotel room before Hall H. Where I was like, okay, this is what I think it's going to be. And I'm really nervous. I look like a wreck. Anyway, it was a, it was a very important, important weekend. Thank you for 
<laughs> moderating it. That was one of the cool things about it. it. Gave us it was like this is really legit. It was on great. Every level. Is there, then that's where the the guys got engaged, right? Oh yes, the Billy. Billy. They're going to be at uh, your taping of At Midnight tonight. Holy shit! Billy and Barry. Oh my god, that was so. That was such a beautiful moment yeah. to get. Do you want to give a little bit of the backstory on that? Uh, the uh, Billy Brooks does all of our uh, vis effects, and Barry did uh, does makeup, and he did a couple of um, zombies eating churros in one of the episodes, <laughs> and. So they both worked on Con Man, or part of the family of Con Man, really amazing guys. And they got engaged in Hall H after we had, we had introduced – we had talked to everybody and I said, don't ask Billy any questions or Barry. And he had already said before and he's like, I don't, want, I don't think I want to go up on the panel because nobody asks questions of the VisaVex guy. So I just become somebody who just sits up there and never does anything. I'm like, no, no, it's, like, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. So don't ask them any questions. So he was over there kind of <laughs> – Getting angry. Because he didn't know why he was up there. No, I was there. And it was the last question. Yeah. Right. And then you said, you gave it to me. I, I remember introducing them and saying, hey, Barry wants to ask you something, Billy. And they came out in front of the dais. Oh, as soon as that happened and you could – as soon as you – as soon as the moment turned and everyone knew exactly what was about to happen, the place went fucking nuts. Yeah. It was, it was beautiful. And they're married now and wear rings and – I just saw him yesterday. Ah, oh, it's great. Yeah. I like those guys because yeah, they're, they're, they like they're Walking Dead fans. So we talk, you know, when I run into them, they talk about, talk about Walking Dead. But it 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 was a uh, it was a perfect end to this really like special homegrown uh, homegrown thing that you guys made. And I I mean now season two you have season two of Con Man. It's out Comic Con HQ. Comic Con HQ, another streaming service out there. Um, we're sort of their premiere show i believe since he's that's not wrong to say we're they're they're of three shows that they have right now we're the we're the one that a they, flagship or a tent pole there we if go you will. we are a tent pole yeah of a of a many poled tent as it's as it's growing <laughs> um but yeah that's that's where it lives lionsgate picked it up so we made the first season said this is what it looks like and then as opposed to doing it with legendary where they they would be shaping it they'd be in the room saying it needs to be this 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 right that we made it and then that's the benefit of that also that they come in and go do it do it like you did it before it's crazy man they gave me artistic license to do second season like they'll they had some great notes but one or two of them i didn't want to do and so i could just say i don't want to do number six and number eight <laughs> and they had to go you got it. Good. That's what's supposed to happen. It's, it's doing a network show with Powerless. I know that it doesn't happen like that. It can be tricky, you know, when um, part, of the, uh, part of the allure of going, of, of doing like a, either a cable show, because we were just, ta- I was just talking about this with uh, someone about Basket, Zach Alvinakis' right. show. Right. Which is also, I mean, Zach, Zach's amazing because, you know, he's a big star. And like, what do you want to do? He's going, oh, I want to do an intimate show about a. A, a guy a who's a clown, but it's this really beautiful comedy family drama. And you know, how do you pitch that? You know, there's no way to really pitch that because it's so tonally specific. And Louis C.K. is one of the executive producers, and it's like, yeah, when you let, when you empower funny, creative people to carry out their vision, and there's not so much oversight, mm-hmm. or it's like, well, the network's got away in, and now the studio's got away in, and now marketing's got away Like, everyone's got to put their little thing in it. Yep. And then, you know, ultimately they just 
you know, they just make the color brown. You know what I mean? It's like when you put too much paint in, it's like, oh, a little bit. Yeah, oh, right. now it's just this color again. Okay, let's try. Oh, now I just too many colors. Now it's just this color again. That was Firefly, man. They they came in and stuck their thumb on this. They just, because they, they showed our, we don't like the pilot. The two-hour pilot sets up the whole world. Yeah, no, we don't like it. We want to do episode two first. And we need it by Monday, and it was a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> and then Joss and Tim Minear scrambled and wrote what became The Train Job. And that was our first episode. Showed it all out of order. The last episode they showed was the pilot. Oh, my gosh. Took took uh, took us off the air, put us on the air, took us off the air. Showed an Adam Sandler movie from a decade prior. Like, they were just... It was so bizarre. But they didn't like, they didn't like the show. Oddly, I pitched comment to Gail Berman, who was the person who was... The, in, who, who canceled it canceled firefly i went into berman braun and she said hey and she's in defense of her well she defends herself so she came in and they said alan this is this is gay and she goes oh no no i know alan because i canceled firefly <laughs> oh she said that yeah she Holy said, shit. She said I've, I've done a lot of things i've because she was like a like uh, she was so amazing out of the gate she produced these big hits on broadway and then got pulled in and she was she was a kind of a hit maker and put Joss on the air with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, championed him, Angel. So she's responsible for those. It wasn't for Gail Berman. In her defense, those things wouldn't be on, be on the air, and we, they wouldn't have so much love, and all of those stories wouldn't have been told. And then she put Firefly on the air and didn't like it, and she canceled it. And she said, you know, on my Wikipedia page, they say a lot of nice things, but there's always a couple of sentences that are reserved for you. She's the one responsible <laughs> For canceling Firefly, and if you take them down, they just come right back up. <laughs> I said, "Well, you're gonna love this idea. It's about a guy who was on a TV show that got canceled. It was canceled too soon. It was a sci-fi show, but then she left Berman Braun, and it became Whale Rock, and now she works at Fox again. I think. Oh wow, crazy business it is. But it's all you know. It everything that you do today and are capable today is the cumulative effect of all of those things so you yeah. you know it you almost can't even ever really look back and go oh man i really w-. it's like yeah but there wouldn't be this and there wouldn't be con man and there wouldn't right. be rogue one with yep. you in it and there yep. wouldn't be you know everything else that you're doing and so it it, it really those are really just the the skill set building right. years, and if you can remember that, and it's real hard to do it when you're in it because it just feels real. It just feels like you, you can feel the valley when you're in it. Yeah, but you know, if you can stick it out and learn from it and keep trying and keep trying, you climb your way back up. You know, that meant to be thing that people always say it's meant to be, and that's the band aid you put on it. You know, they, all this failure or all this hardship right now, they'll say, look, it was meant to be. That that show shouldn't have gone. I know it feels rough right now, but it's meant to be. There's something else around the corner, and it's so hard to swallow. But <laughs> I don't know what else you're going to do. It's, it is meant to be. 13 years after iRobot, K2SO. So are you done shooting Con Man Season 2? You're yeah. done shooting? Yeah. I feel like you need to make a video or something as that character and just be like, what happened to me? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he has a song or some sort of he like makes he's trying to make a comeback or something. I made the character of Jerry Lansing played by Nolan North, which is one of the funniest oh, guys, yeah. big big a huge voiceover, voiceover guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Drake on uh, Nathan Drake yep. on um, whatever that show, Uncharted, uh, Uncharted. Yeah, I, I never anyway. Uh, <laughs> Xbox guy. Um, so he he play he hates Andy Serkis. He's the he's the second best mo- motion capture artist in the world. <laughs> oh, his character. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, I like took my experience and then amplified it 120 percent. So he hates Andy Circus just as monkeys. Uh, Gollum was a shaved down gibbon, and he did all the he does all the things that <laughs> he has such a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. That's Nolan's line. He's very funny. He's very very funny. But he does all the he did. He was the he got his break being the the feather in Forrest Gump. Uh, right at the beginning of the he did it was a beautiful ballet of I don't remember of sad, it, was, it ends up in diabetes and ultimately a story of diabetes uh, brought on by too much chocolate. Yeah, the kitten that says hang in there that yeah. was me. Meow meow. <laughs> I was a uh, I did print work back then so. It came, that came out of that. Like everything, I get to I get to exercise a lot of my stuff. It feels good out. too to be able to because at least if you can do something with it, yeah. you kind of take ownership over it, yeah. and it means that you've grown from it. You know, I mean, when you're, yeah, I think it's fine to go through periods where you sit around and go, ah, fuck, I don't know, maybe I, I don't know. You know, as long as you can get out of it and do something constructive with it afterwards. But it's a bummer when you know talented people just get stuck in that place. Yeah, and then. For year, you know, for years, and you go, "Well, I love that person. How come they don't work more?" And then they get a job, and it makes them a little crazy. And you're like, "Oh, that's okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You you might be a little part of the problem there. So just being able to, yeah, being able to kind of keep focused and you know, it's not and it's not easy. It's not easy to not go nuts because it's a it is a business that cannot wait to reject you at every turn. Yep. I've been lucky that I have a lot of outlets that I can kind of I started in the theater so when everything you know when I get frustrated on one hopefully one of the others will open up like open up like voiceover or theater little films or big films or just sort of find a little spot somewhere to keep me going to keep me exercising as a worker I consider myself just a working worker worker actor but don't you feel like it, I mean so being at the Rogue One premiere was one of my favorite <sighs> cinematic experiences of all time because of how uh just the 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 energy in the theater was unlike anything and you know people get excited at premieres because they have people there worked on it and oh they applaud when they see names but but legitimately people were fucking losing their mind i was talking about this with billion when he was on a few weeks ago and the energy and as soon as it was over i ran up to him and, and i was like oh my god Tudyk like fucking steals every scene he's in. He fucking steals every, and he goes, you know, he improved a lot of that. And I go, oh what, fuck, holy shit! And you know, so it was. I didn't want to overwhelm you with the premiere because it was just that moment where everyone was coming up and like you know that was that was so much your moment. I mean, it's such a a triumphant, like a, a moment that we is just rare in our in a career. Right. Yeah, and. It was so like you're just a part of this thing now, and not only are you a part of it, but it's it's really you. Like you yeah. made it that. That's fucking incredible. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, we all did. You know, truly. Like uh, Diego Luna's very funny, and so we would always play back and forth with Diego. the The thing where I slap him, which was my favorite in that movie, he had for some reason because the script was shifting, um, sort of in the middle, it shifted. And he had a, a thing on his lip, and he's like, there's a scene where I have this this hit on my lip from something else. I got hit in the face. Now if, now that the way the script is, that's not going to make any sense. He's like, I need to get hit in the face to make that make sense. Can K2 hit me in the face? <laughs> just slap me? And they didn't want to give it to him. They're like, no. And he's like, just give me one time. And they said, all right. And so we put it in, and I slapped him, and then 
one of my favorite things was, and there's a fresh one if you mouth off again. <laughs> and when they put that in, I couldn't believe that they put that in. Like a droid doesn't get to say that, but they, and that was just me playing with. Uh, Diego, and actually you can see a couple of frames of him, he puts his hand over his face because he's about to laugh. And it's actually in the movie of him about to bust in in the movie. So you were in a, you were in a mocap suit for on, the whole... Yeah, and on stilts. And uh, the way that ILM has it, it's so... It was so freeing. They didn't have balls, and there weren't dots on my face because of his... his the way that K2's face worked, it didn't, they didn't need all of that contour. And... I mainly just wore a cap, stilts, <laughs> and I would just turn the cap backwards and put on this little beanie hat on top of it. and No makeup or anything? No, no makeup. rolling in? Yeah. I had this little backpack with a head that telescoped up, but they got rid of that. Like for running, I didn't have to wear that anymore. They're like, we can just take your movement and stretch it out and put it on him where his legs, the way his legs move and the way his hands move. Arms so move. how much of it was... How I mean, when you started, did you sort of feel that freedom? Did Gareth say, "Hey, you know, I really want you to be you and play around with this," or did it? Did you grow into that as the, as the film went on? I I think I always did because it just came off a of con man, and I was having I, I wasn't stepping on anybody's toes in con man because it, I was they were all my toes, <laughs> so I was comfortable and it was reflexive to me to be in a situation. And go, ah, you know what? This is better if we say this or do this, and. They were very. He was very encouraging of that. Um, yeah, and then by the end, after they started to before the reshoots, the K two was doing well in the um, test audiences. They were like, "This line doesn't really work. What do you have? What else do you have?" And so I would just run through pitches. How about this? How about this? How about this? So the, like the one where uh, she says at the end, or, or where K two says, "Jen, I'll be with you." Cassian says, I have to. That the line was that she says, um, or somebody, I think it, uh, anyway, somebody says, grab anything that's, that isn't nailed down. My line was, well, I'm not nailed down, so I guess I'll grab myself. I was like, Gugh, <laughs> this line is rough. I'm like, what do you got? And I, I pitched that, and uh, the producer uh, liked it, and um, I did it. I was. It was kind of pushed back. Like, don't don't do that. I talked to the director. And I was like, nah, that doesn't work. What else you got? And uh, did it anyway. <laughs> and that's the one they used, and it's it got good laughs. And the, the well, theater. every time he was on screen, and it's and and you know, and I also yeah, you're right. It. I know you. It, it was a team effort. A lot of people. And so, I have huge props to Gareth and the editors or who, right. because comedy isn't anything if it's not captured and presented in the right way. Like right. You can say a million hilarious things, but if they don't get the timing of it or they don't, you you know. Right. So it was definitely yeah. a collaborative effort. But, yeah, every time you were on screen, and that's a that's kind of a tough character to pull off because with a snarky character, you know, sometimes in a movie you can see, like, the first couple times around people are like, oh, that's so great. And after a while you're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, this fucking guy gonna shut up, you know? But it never happened with K two. Yeah. So how did you keep that balance of still managing to keep him likable, right? But still snarky. I think he loved Cassian. Maybe that was it. God, you know, that was the one connection. You know, it was about fathers. Um, you know, Jin's father and all of that connect. You know, sort of figuring out who her father was. And Cassian to me was my father. I don't know. Maybe. You just sort of play, you know, 
this in Powerless, they've I've been asked a couple of questions like, "Are you all winking at the camera?" Like, "Oh, they're superheroes." And I wink, wink. I was like, "You can't do that. You have to play it real." And I think that was it. Just playing him like the child he was. There's so much room in that character. The first time uh, Cassie comes in and says, "I see you've met uh, K two," and she says, "Yeah, he's he's um, uh, charming." And he says, "I'm sorry." You know, he's he, he doesn't even know what I said. He's apologizing for me without knowing what I said. So it gives me this huge, it gives me so much room to just say whatever the hell I wanted to. And I don't know. He's protecting, he's protecting Cassian. He liked his life before Jen came along, before all these people showed up. He'd rather, he'd rather just work with Cassian. I don't know. I guess that might be it. Have you gotten any, uh, have you started to get the calls like, oh, they want you to come in and... Uh... Narrate Star Tours. Oh, they want you to <laughs> say thank you for coming to the Disneyland Hotel. Right, this is Kate, you know it's like you because you're that guy, you are that guy now. Right, even though we, I mean, look, he dies in the movie, but spoiler, spoiler, but he's a robot. Yeah. So of all the characters that could be repaired, right? I'm there, man. The whole planet blew up, but that doesn't. They're doing prequels of everything now, so I would love to see plenty of him. I'd love to do something with Cassian, more with Cassian, or. Um, also Krennic, since I was formerly in the Empire, like, wh- what was the story of, of K2 be- while he was in the Empire? How did he become who we know him to be? That would be cool. But see, when characters die, I'm always pitching more for him. When King Candy died, I, uh, John Lasser, I'm like, John, listen, <laughs> let's put out an album of vaudeville songs with... With King Candy. I'm telling you, I got a whole list of them. I got a whole bunch of those. Why don't you just do that and then just put it out? And if they say anything, go, oh, I'm sorry. I just, it was just a fan piece. <laughs> I'm like, who's going to stop you from doing that? Especially now, who's going to stop you from doing that? No one would stop you from doing that. Disney lawyers. Uh, an army of Disney lawyers. It doesn't I matter. Like, once it's out, right. you can go, okay, I'm sorry. I'll take it down. But it's fucking out. Like, and then... And then you know you would do that knowing that when you took it down and said, I'm sorry, guys, they asked me to take this down, 10,000 other sites <laughs> would like it spring it. They'd never it's – like, it's like an impossible game of whack-a-mole. Well, we did a musical in Combat Season 2. So uh, John Dinerstein, who did that, he's got the whole setup. I could just go to his house. I was a big fan of vaudeville, huge fan of early TV. Before the internet existed, I would go to the Museum of Radio and Television and watch the show of shows and watch um, uh, Jack Benny. I love Jack Benny. um, Well. Yes, and just those long takes to the audience where he could fill that. He had the longest uh, pause but also laughter on the radio. Uh, He held the record for – he was a stingy. His character was that he was very stingy. And uh, the line was, your money or your life. And then it was just a pause while he considered it. I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wait. Or, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a little, yeah, but it's I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I honestly think, uh, you know, what we could do is uh, King Candy <laughs> K2 <laughs> duet or or it's you know maybe maybe K2's early life was being uh, you know like he was in the service of <laughs> King Candy and it's just the two of them being roommates yeah. you know K2 fix my car <laughs> I can see I can't go back and forth really easy I don't want to fix your car. See, I can't go back and forth. I could do maybe the Duke of Wesselton because I did you know I Disney I've convinced Either they convinced themselves. I don't know who convinced who that they put me in all their movies now. I've done five, the last five. Fuck. I did Frozen. I did the Duke of Wesselton. 
And then after that, oh, I did Big Hero 6 where I'm just myself with just a little bit more. Love Big Hero 6. Yeah. Oh, it's, and now I'm, gonna, I'm doing the – they're doing a cartoon of it. So I get to play um, uh, Cray, Alistair Cray. And then in Zootopia, I play – I have to take Claritin to do it. Because um, uh, he's so high up. The, the weasel. The weasel. Um, what, do you, what do you say? What do you know? And then and, um, I was the rooster in Moana. <laughs> that's what's hard to – That's. I mean I feel like some people you go, oh, that's – you know that's that person in there, but you're at, you are invisible in the sense that there there was there was a couple in there that I didn't know. Like right. oh shit! So what is it that uh, did you? I mean, I guess is it theater training? It was improv in Dallas, Texas. Sean Petrello taught me a lot. And Rubber Chicken, you know those those, those names of improv troops. My, ours was Rubber Chicken in Dallas, <laughs> and he taught me a lot. He really did. I always did voices as a kid. And then my first job in the theater that kind of broke me, uh, got me to where I was castable, was called Bunny Bunny that Alan Zweibel wrote about Gilda Radner. And it was uh, Paula Kale played Gilda Radner and um, uh, Bruno Kirby, currently passed. Um, we don't know if he's still – he's dead. Um, he's, not, he's, he's, not, he's no he's longer alive. alive. Um, longer. And then I played 24 roles in the play. I came on as a French waiter who would come in and say, what can I – and I had a bit about pulling a, an invisible hair out of my mouth. I'm sorry. Uh, what can I – hold on. Pardon, pardon, pardon. And then I run off stage and I come on as Big Bone Judy who just lost her her boyfriend. Do you mind if I just stick around? And then I was oh, – I was this guy. It was a little racist. Uh, then I played a um, uh, cab driver who was hated them and was angry and uh, – Also racist. Yeah, also racist. <laughs> but it was the 90s. It was 97 and I won an award. Uh, Alice and Janney and I won for best theater debut that year, the, the Clarence Derwin Award, which is a prestigious award. Uh, Alice and Janney who – yeah, that's – her career is she's done well. She's done all right, that <laughs> Alice and Janney. Oh my God, she's so much fun to watch yeah, she's on stage. Great. She's yeah. great. I actually, the last job I had, my my regular job, I was working at a transvestite bar for Bridge and Tunnel Transvestites um, uh, on 10th Avenue uh, called Carla's 2, T-O-O. And I had a girlfriend who was on Broadway with Alice and Janney. And she said, let's all come. We're all going to come down to your dive bar because we all think that's cool i was like this is not that kind of dive bar there was chi chi the bitch it was a it was a moment where i thought i could stay in this job and write a book or i can quit <laughs> and i quit after one shift but allison janney i was serving her martinis vodka martinis and that same year i won the clarence derwin award with her holy shit like it was a crazy because the play that play bunny bunny was waiting for a theater. We had done it in Philadelphia, and we were waiting, sort of circling. There's only so many off-Broadway theaters, and then the Lucille Lortel opened up, and I quit, and that was that. So you have kind of an iron will. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to make this thing that was difficult to make, that you've been pitching for years, to turn down stuff, what do you attribute that to? I mean, what is it? What is it? I mean, to have the confidence in your own stuff to say, I just believe that this is good and it should be made and I'm not going to do anything else I don't want to do. I mean, how did you not fall into the typical trappings? Yeah, I was I was at a dead end, man. I have a lot of I have a lot of stories about getting to the 
between me, you know, it's between me and a couple guys and the director confiding in me, I can't, I can't cast you. You're not a big enough name. Yeah. You haven't done it. You haven't done enough. The right things. And I've watched a lot of people make their own things and go just zoom past me and make, make a name for themselves. And I've always wanted to make something. And even, even things I, I, I got, there was always a struggle. Um, a Death at a Funeral, that, that was right down to the wire. And it was because Frank Oz was just really fighting for me every day. And they luckily listened to him. Because I showed up on set while they had already been in rehearsal. And because he fought down to the wire. It was great. It was, so I was, I was at the dead end. I'm like, I'm never going to, I'm always going to play the guy who's the role that isn't big enough to attract an actual star. So maybe, and it's always a specialty. Does he have an accent? Oh, you know, Alan does accents or he's a robot. Uh, so no big star wants to do that because they're not going to be seen. Uh, that was iRobot, I feel like. It was kind of, it didn't attract people. Or the, the, the uh, pirate in Dodgeball. People couldn't really wrap their heads around being a pirate in a Dodgeball <laughs> movie. They're like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Yar. <laughs> and then I got that specialty role. But it was, because I hid in movies, I could never, you know, he's the gay Sherman. And then I would get a lot of, uh, 28 Days, one of the first roles I ever played, Gerhard Weinacht. Who was wonderful and very emotional. And um, then I got a lot of offers to play flamboyant characters like that. And I didn't want to do any of them, so I turned them all down. So I could never, I never, I, yeah, I never capitalized on, on any success. Well, it just wasn't <laughs> sticking to one thing. It's yeah, like, I didn't well, I don't want, want to be that guy who does, you know, you yeah. want to try different things. You want to try new. Did you, did you ever pry Frank Oz for any Muppet stories? Or did you talk to him about any of that? Or is it? Is, is, is that kind of a, he doesn't really talk about that. Um, I did. I asked him about Jim Henson. Because they, didn't they do Menomina? That was my dance. That was my first dance with my wife last was year. Was it really? Yeah. Menomina. Yeah. It's just, I think that is the perfect song. It is the perfect song. Yeah, it's, a, it's the perfect comedy bit. Ugh, because it's all in the timing. But you even know the timing because it's a song. But it's phenomena. That's it. But also the use of the, and you can hear it in the audio recording of it too. But it's the use of dimension, because when he appears way in the back, and you hear the echo, <laughs> like you just, it's it's so gorgeously timed. Yeah, I have. It brings me great joy. So they created that. I asked him about Jim Henson. I won't tell any of the answers I got, but he did. We did talk about it. You know that they had started this. It was like a couple of hippies with puppets. Yeah. And uh, were Muppets, but they and and Jim Henson really took him under his wing. You know, they were they worked together, and uh, they created something that has changed lives. Gosh, think about that. I mean, Grover, he's Grover, he's Animal, he's Fozzie Bear, Miss Piggy, um, Cookie Monster, Yoda. I'm sure. Oh, he was also Sam the Eagle. When he laughs, he sounds like some kind of version between uh, Fozzie Bear and Miss Piggy in real life. This <laughs> <laughs> is weird. Like, whoa. whoa, whoa. Yeah, they, what's going on they there? Transported together? Yeah. Came out spliced together? And he also says, he, he, he contends that he doesn't know what's funny. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know what's funny. No, I absolutely do not know what's funny. Well, I know what's funny. <laughs> so you have to know more than me. You don't know what's funny. Adam. Well, how does he attribute anything they did if he doesn't know what's funny? 
He says that when they did um, uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, they were doing it going, we don't know anything if this is going to play or not. And then when they played it, it was... Fuck, that movie holds up so well. Yeah. How do you not know with Steve Martin in the basement hitting his patch eye with a fork with a cork on the end or something? Yeah, but again, you know, but that is, an, that is, that is a tribute to a good director... Is that if there's too much hitting the fork in the eye, like right, you know, because I'm sure they had takes that where he didn't nail it, right, and you know, just being able to pepper that in the right way and cover it in the right way and the right, right camera angle, you know, the DP and then the the t- editing the and then rubric. Do you want? Don't make me get the genital cough, you know. Like it's just those <laughs> little moments. That's a good band name. <laughs> the genital cuff. We are genital cuff. Our <laughs> <laughs> first song, Chafing. Uh, yeah, he he helped me back in that. In that, I can. Te- it was a testament to his direction that he. I was playing somebody who was on acid and ketamine and all these things in one, and I end up naked, and that he would be like, nope, 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 Alan, pull back, pull back, pull back. There's definitely a very bad performance you can edit. That in that movie, and he he saved me from that, and it yeah, it helped him, and also put me in only a certain amount. He was like, you can't put too much of that character in the movie because he's so potent and big and crazy that you have to yeah, you have to space him out. I know you've told the story several times, but I just just in case people here haven't heard it yet, the the thing. What did Anthony Daniels say to you? Oh yeah, after the move, after he saw the movie. Fuck you. <laughs> and then he said some really nice things. I have to say, he said some really, he's such a funny guy. He's a gangster, man. He said really nice things. And he said, if you tell anyone I said that, I'll deny it. Oh, that's like, really so sweet. I can tell people you said fuck you, absolutely. Because <laughs> he, he, right before I did, did it, he had, I'd met him early on. He had come down to the set because he was in it. You know, it was a big secret that he was there. And he said, so are you wearing the costume? Are you wearing, are you motion capture? And I said, motion capture, you shit. <laughs> and that was my only <laughs> back and forth with him. And then when I saw him at the premiere in, uh, in L.A., he hadn't seen the movie yet. And I saw him on the aisle as I was going down to sit down in my seat and um, said hello. And he said, I'll give you notes af- afterwards. Oh, that's fucking hilarious. And uh, Afterwards, he just looked at me and shook his head and gave me a hug and said, fuck you. So what is just, going through your head when you're in that theater? And I know you felt the energy in that theater. What is it? What are you feeling? And how do you even process? Like, how do you process a moment like that? I don't. I haven't yet. I feel like I haven't yet. Because I was editing Con Man <laughs> season two during that time. And Powerless was about to happen. We just finished Comment season two. I'm just finally, I'm doing powerless now, working 12-hour days, five days a week. And I'm like, this is a vacation. There's nothing to do. All I do is show up, act, which is so easy, based compared to showing up, doing 17-hour days every day for nine months. Good God, man. We didn't have a production company. I'm such a whiner about it. <laughs> Are you kids? It was me and, and your P- production companies. PJ Harzma. PJ Harzma, who did all, uh, he and I did a lot of it. And we made a comic book. We wrote a comic book. We have two, uh, two issues out and a game, Con Man the Game, which was massive. Right after that uh, Hall H thing, season one, we went up to um, Quebec and met with um, <laughs> the big company we were <laughs> working with to. Let's use this character. I want to have this quality in it. It's you build your own Comic Con, and 
so all this stuff was happening at once, and so it was crazy. And so um, I was shooting Powerless while I was going and doing press for Star Wars, and that was a tough juggle for time. So for me, it was just getting to have fun and hang out with Ben Mendelsohn. And, uh, I mean, the best actors, like my favorite actors, um, were in that movie. So, Had you seen it before? You must have done some ADR here and there, but did you see it in ADR. its entirety? Until no, then? no. I got to see that last uh, – when I did some ADR, they're like, check out what – because that last thing with Darth Vader wasn't on there. Oh. They put that on really close to the end. And they're like, look what we did. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. The moment where they're looking at the door – Excuse me, and you you know that Darth Vader's, you can hear him breathing, and then his lightsaber goes, and he's in the room with them. And then he, he he's such a badass, more than you've ever seen him be a badass, sticking people on the ceiling and choking people from across the room and throwing people around because now we have the ability to do that. Oh, my God. I, I, my head's tingling right now because oh. uh, um, it was very, 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 very exciting to me. And it didn't come out that... Everybody died, which I loved the whole time when we were making it. I go, everybody dies. <laughs> so great. I saw Mark Hamill at a con, and I went up to him and said, hi, uh, hi Mark. I don't mean to interrupt you. He was signing. Um, my name's Alan Tudyk. I'm K2. And he goes, oh, my God. Got up. Like, fans all just had to wait. Pulled me in to a really close. He had his arm around, my, arm around me. He's like, I cannot believe everybody dies. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? Everybody dies. Yeah, that's that's my favorite part because it's so. Touching. Well, he said Gareth told him that. <laughs> yep, and he was like, "Why did you tell me that?" Like, you know what happened? Spoiled. Everything was so so secret for the first one uh, that they made for the Force Awakens. So secret they had a they had a safe evidently, like it was I think mental games a safe that you could read the script for people who had to read it. That you pull it out, you read it in the room, and you have to put it back. Whereas we, right in, the, right in the beginning, said, or Felicity said, I need a script. Because we had these tablets that you had to access and all this stuff, and that's how you got your script. She's like, no, we need scripts. We're actors, and we need scripts. We need to mark on them and have scripts in our hands. And Gareth went, yeah, here you go. Great. So they were just scripts, and they didn't really keep track of them. And it still was, and it was fine. And it was fine. <laughs> and it didn't get out. And he would show... Sections of it to the whole crew, to anybody who wanted to come in. He'd show, like, this is, this is where we went to Jeddah. Check this out. Well, I think, I, think, I think Rogue One was essential in the evolution of this expanding universe because, you know, I think Force Awakens pulled everyone back in. Ah, remember this? This is the thing. It's great. But Rogue One said, and we're going to break the rules, you yeah. know, and we're going to mm. fuck with it, and we're going to try stuff, and we're going to kill people, and we're going to, you know... But even just to the extent of I, – I honestly think one of the biggest gifts of that movie was to strengthen episode four in ways mm. where you're like, oh, that's what – you know, yep. like even yep. though you know it's kind of retcon or whatever, like it's still – it just it just clicked everything so beautifully, you know. And that's the moment right Oh, and those are all the people that die. Oh, fuck! You know, it's like you can't. And the Death Star is because that's why it's so easy. God damn it! You know, it's like those moments. Yeah, they got to go back and sew up anything. That was so cool. I, I'm I'm. I guess I'll get it at a certain point. I I, I need to watch it again. After I first watched it, I I remember being just alone in my house, going, "I'm K2SO." Oh my God, I'm K2SO. 
what a cool character to get to be. Even though we did it, I mean, I was there. It was just, <laughs> I am K2SO because it looks so much better with him and in, in not me in pajamas. Because <laughs> I saw <laughs> a lot of me in pajamas. I hope they released some footage as an extra or something, a DVD of you in the pajamas. There's some cool stuff. His death and all of that was really cool because I, I got to see some of that where I have a fake gun and I'm shooting, I'm shooting the gun and they put the laser blast in it. Oh, that's funny. That's so really funny. I've got a fake gun watching and then you see the stuntmen get pulled and knocked around. Great. So there's a lot of stuff you're going to do. So you're going to do the uh, King Candy Sings Vaudeville hits? Yes, I want to do uh, – the book is so much better than the picture, which is a great old vaudeville song. I, 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 do... I can't remember. How does that go? The book is so much better than the picture. <laughs> oh, how does it go? Uh, something about the in the, in the book, uh, they were murdering uh, – in the film, they were just murdering the plot. <laughs> it's a – Oh, there's some and the the acrobat's daughter, which Daffy Duck used to always sing. She was an acrobat's daughter. She flew through the air on a uh, on a noose. Then one day, fateful day, her something gave bridge, way. Her she bridge, flew through the air like a goose. Like a goose. Oh, her bridge work gave way. Her bridge work because <laughs> she was biting on the bridge, and she flew through the air like a goose. She flew through the air like a goose. Like I could, I think this will be, you know, for children. Something they ignore. But, I mean, for <laughs> people have a love for vaudeville, which no, has got to be a huge contention. <laughs> for children and their great-grandparents <laughs> can finally come together. Yeah. I think, you know, just for fun, just fucking do it. Like, they, you know, it, I think most people consider that now, like, it's just a part of our culture. It's just a part of our... You know, mashup fan made culture. And honestly, they'd be crazy to get mad at you for that because it re engages people. Because then people see it and then it's on the fucking Today Show. And they're like, oh, did you see this thing Alan Tudyk did? And people are talking about uh, Wreck It Ralph again. And people are talking about other stuff you worked on. I mean, it's like just these, these fucking business, you know, it's the business affairs. It's lawyers. Like, we can't let. Yeah. That's not, you're not allowed to. Why? 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 Competition, how? You're getting yeah. fucking coverage. It's this a, is helping you. It's a Don't weird be dumb. Argument. It's a weird argument, but they'll make it every time. It is bizarre. It is bizarre. I mean, especially I, everything I tend to do is sort of in, especially the last few years, is all sci-fi in the sci-fi world. Powerless has the DC world, Star Wars, Con Man. It's all sci-fi. It's all, and it's all parallel. People fight over that. Like, you, uh-uh. You can't go do things. Even press, other press. I don't even want, I don't want to get into it, but it was this was some odd, odd. Like people are gonna go, hey everyone, Alan Tudyk was over on that show, but he just did press for this thing, so let's no one watch that thing and go over to this one. Let's go, everybody. <laughs> Everyone's murmuring as they go to the other thing. Like, yeah, it's so silly. Everything's everything now, and ev- the more stuff you do, the more it promotes everything else. It raises the water level. It's nothing is. Yeah, you know, it's the, these things aren't. Um, uh, it's not so compartmentalized anymore. They, they imagine they're in competition with everybody. Con Man is in competition with anything on ABC was my one negative experience where they because they want to make their own streaming service and they're having to compete with Netflix and it's like, well, you can have first right of refusal. No. Just, just people who have marching orders and it's a huge corporation and it's so far from art. Here's a tip for business people. Uh, make good stuff. Yeah. If you make good stuff, no one gives a shit what else is out there. Yeah. Just make good stuff and be confident in it. And you make good stuff by empowering your creators. And if you do that, 
You work with good people. You might make a dollar, and that seems that's what they want. <laughs> you don't have to worry about, we can't let them, because then they're going to go, it's like, it just doesn't work that way anymore. Uh, come on. Come on. Uh, although I think it's very funny that... You are uh, you're on you're doing a powerless panel today on at midnight. Yes, the day they were taping this with Danny Pudi so, and Ron Funches. I'm so worried and nervous about it. We were I was joking with the writers today about how how disarmingly cocky Ron Funches can be. That he's so adorable and wonderful and hilarious. Mm-hmm. That didn't you say you're like oh you know I think I. I think I might have a shot at winning. Oh, you're not going to win. <laughs> yeah, he said, "Alan, you're going to do so well." Because I was like, "I don't know. I can't. I can't. I can't. I just. I. My mind doesn't work fast enough. I watch it and I pause it and I can't come up with anything." You're like, "Alan, I think you're going to do really well because you have ideas and you've got puns and things that you do on set, and so they'll come to you when we do it." And I'm like, "So maybe I'll win." Oh no, that's my house. <laughs> I don't think you're going to win. <laughs> and slap. <laughs> so I want to win only because I want a rivalry. I would love to have an ongoing rivalry rivalry with him. But then Danny Pudi might be the dark horse who just comes along. But Ron and I have, you know, kind of, I know he's, he has won 19 times. Danny Pudi, though, is an, a comedy assassin. Like, oh. he'll... You know, it's going to be good. Oh my God. I always feel like Ron Funches is like the sixth Jackson brother <laughs> that they wouldn't let on stage. <laughs> no, Ron. No. <laughs> okay. Work the curtain. <laughs> and then... And I'm going to kill you all. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just... just It was just bubbling silently <laughs> all those years. And then finally... He's uh, that guy is a fucking. Con- I mean, uh, Michael. You know, there's something wrong with your face. <laughs> you might want to get that fixed. <laughs> he like puts the things in their head. <laughs> Later comes back to bite them. Yeah, I adore him. Yeah, he's he's great. I love getting to work with him and Danny. Um, uh, yeah, everybody, everybody on the show is fantastic. I'm so happy for everything that's happening right now. Congratulations. I on- should say Vanessa Hudgens and Vanessa she's Hudgens our, yeah, too. She's our, she's our she's our beacon. Um, we can all, as I said right before we were on a break, and I said we have a week off, and I was like, everybody, try not to die uh, over the break, especially you, Vanessa, because we can all be replaced, but you can't. The Hudge, yeah, she's she's sweet. I always thought she was like a tough girl because she did a lot of tough girl roles, but she's sweet. She's like, this is fun, like the type of type of girl who goes, let's jump. Jumping feels good. <laughs> what? Okay, we're all jumping now. <laughs> I'm going to sit down over here. <laughs> yeah, I'll be over here. Never mind that shit. <laughs> I'm thinking about jumping. I'm thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, so Powerless is on, uh, is it Thursdays? Yeah, Thursdays, NBC. This will be our second uh, week out. I think it's, it's really fun to make. I think it's really funny. I think they have the right take on it. Um, I've seen a lot of bad pilots, read a lot of bad pilots that tried to tried to make the comedy superhero world come together and they just never you know, went anywhere. You know what the best pilot was, though? What? K2SO. <laughs> hey, look hey! at that! Better than Wash. You made the... Oh! That's a ton of head-to-head. Fuck! They, they both crash. <laughs> they, they both die. They both, they both crash, they both die. They both die. What is it that Fillion said you do the thing with the click, click, click? Yeah, the three, the three things. The that three was always things. my thing in Firefly, and then I got to put it in Star Wars. Oh, that's so great! Little, I, I had a role in Star Wars as me, and it got cut. 
What was it? It was a pilot, uh, an Imperial pilot, who was trying to get through the lock and almost gets crushed. He's the last ship that gets through. And in the rewrites, it didn't make any sense to have him anymore. But they were pu- they were going to uh, credit me as Ray Nearly, which is the character in Con Man. So I was going to be oh, Alan Tudyk plays K2SO, and then whatever Imperial pilot number 16 was going to be Ray Nearly. Oh, shit. But it makes sense that he wouldn't. He Make it in the out. final cut. He got cut out. I'd love to see the footage, though. If but. there's a... If, if if you do a season three of Con Man, you've got to beg for that footage. John Schwartz, he's, the, the producers are really generous. And, and then and then that can be his. That can sort of be his the thing that just fucking grates on him. <laughs> is that everyone got to be? He didn't fucking. He was so close to being in Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for weaving wonderful. Uh, Nerdy narratives Dude. for everyone. Please yeah. continue to do so. Uh, I suspect you'll probably just work as long as you feel like working at this point. As long as I don't die. Don't die. Yeah. Don't die before. Don't die before at midnight. It's only a couple hours. Can you just stay alive for a couple more hours? I'll do it. Okay, great. I'll do it. Alan Tudyk, thank you so much <laughs> for being here. And uh, maybe you should sign us out. Mm. However you want. We say we say enjoy your burrito at the end of the podcast. However you we can say it as yourself or any anyone. It doesn't matter. Enjoy your burrito. It's like a sandwich, but it's the Mexican kind. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new. Stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.